Do you feel like you're the only young person who cares about your Catholic faith? Do you look around at mass and only see silver foxes? We're Jake and Kathy, a young adult married couple, and we're here to tell you, you're not alone. That's why it's time to get Truth Pops. You're going to get a podcast designed specifically for you, a young adult Catholic in a pop culture world. The countdown is on for Truth Pop. We'll connect Christ into culture. The show that brings you in where the magic happens. Welcome to The Writer's Room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And today I'm joined by Sif Pop writer Alice, all the way from Australia. Hello. We write for SifPop.com, provided you with movie reviews, best ever challenges, and other interesting movie-related articles. So make sure you check out the website SifPop.com to keep up with those. We have a great show for you this week. We'll start off here in the pitch, which is now that's good. We're on schedule so far. As always, I can't promise too much after that. That's a joke that I love that nobody ever seems to to laugh at on the show. So I don't know if you're laughing at home, but that's that's one of my favorite show uh, jokes. After this, we're going to move on to coming attractions. We're going to give our thoughts on what's coming out soon. This week, we got Superman, Man of Tomorrow for you. Then we'll move on to our SIF topic, which we'll be talking about a nostalgic movie, which Alice chose The Black Cauldron, which you can find currently streaming on Disney Plus if you're interested. And then we're going to explore the B-plot, answering the question that was sent to us by Joseph, uh, which I'll explain as we get closer to that. And then we're going to wrap up with a quick spinoff, a quick recommend or warn from each of us. Uh, but first, let's get a chance to know our writer this week. So Alice from Australia, it's so good to have you on the show. Honestly, like this has been one of the ones that I've been most excited about. Just getting to explore a different culture is is, is just fascinating for me. And so uh, when did you realize that you had a passion for movies? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I just want to say first, yeah, I'm really, really excited too. So really keen to get stuck in. Um, so this is kind of interesting for me, actually, because uh, I've been consistently going to the movies every week since I was about five. I went every week with my dad and then my mom at home. We'd watch lots of movies, lots of TV but I didn't realize that that was something I loved. That was just kind of my life. And so as I was growing up, I was like, oh, I want to be, you know, a forensic uh, psychologist or a criminal anthropologist. And then I realized in around year 10, the only reason I wanted to be a criminal anthropologist was because I was obsessed with bones. And the only reason I wanted to be a forensic scientist was because of Abby from NCIS. And then there was that moment where something clicked and I was just like, oh, no, I love watching movies and TV. That's what I love to do. And so that's just kind of where it, where I realized. And since then, you know, I've fully leaned into it. Like I said, every when when the world's normal, I go to the movies every single week, sometimes twice a week. It's not uncommon during Oscar season for me to go four times a day uh, because my mom and I have a tradition where when the Oscar nominations come out, we watch every single movie that's nominated and then I have a huge Oscar party. So that's like my my thing. Everybody knows it's coming every single year. I watch it live and it's just very exciting for me. And then I'm, yeah, I'm like the movie person of my group. So when it, or, and TV, I, I watch so much TV that people think it's a bit ridiculous. But yeah, that, that's kind of a, a bit about me and movies and TV. Yeah, when I was a kid, my dream job was to be a part of Star Command with Buzz Lightyear. And uh, while we're on that topic, uh, Disney Plus, uh, please put Buzz Lightyear Star Command on your service. That would make me very happy. And I'm sure a lot of other people. (laughs) 
So a question we've been asking a lot of our writers as they've been coming on the show is, Alice, what is your favorite movie? And specifically, what makes that movie beyond excellent? Okay. So I have a very specific answer that might uh, always gets a bit of a, huh, from people. So I always say that my favorite movie is Zombieland, like the 2009, um, that just got a sequel, actually. And the reason is because whenever somebody finds out that I'm really into movies, that's always the first question they ask. And I just feel like it's my, I want to say, oh, it's this sometimes, but then it's this in certain scenarios. Um, and so like, for example, I am a huge, huge Harry Potter fan. I've watched them, you know, twice every year, all of them, but then also I really love, you know, Kingsman and I really love Shawshank Redemption. And so it's really hard to narrow it down. So I say Zombieland because a, it's something that not many people would expect from, you know, somebody who's obsessed with film and studied it, went to uni and everything. And B, because it's a movie that I can consistently put on. And I always, always have such a good time. You know, it's only an hour and 20 minutes. Every single person, like the four cast members, all of them went on to become huge, you know, which is insane when you think about that in 2009, the only real recognizable person was like Abigail Breslin and then maybe Jesse Eisenberg a little bit. And then obviously Woody Harrelson a little bit, but like Emma sure. Stone was just starting out and they were no super bad at that point. Yeah, super bad, but she wasn't like, you know, EZA and La La Land. She wasn't a household name yet, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they were like, they were recognizable in that sort of what I would say that, oh, I recognize that face sort of thing, but not a, oh, that's Emma Stone, that's Woody Harrelson, you know. And then it's just a really fun movie. Like every time I show it to people when they haven't seen it, they're just like, that was so much fun, you know. It's funny. It's got some great action scenes, one of my very, very favorite action scenes of all time. And it's got great music. Anyway, so that that's the one I would say. And that's kind of why. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great answer. You know, I mean, I've, I've been constantly promoting the Shawshank Redemption and just because because characters are a primary reason. But yeah, I think I love Zombieland as well. I've seen it uh, quite a few times. I like the sequel quite a bit. It's pretty good. But I mean, to me, what you're describing is the nice guys, because it's just a movie I can put on it and I'm going to get whatever I need every time I watch it. And it's one of those movies that I just try to show as many people as I can, because I've never once showed that movie. And somebody just been like, that was okay. Or like, I didn't like that. Like everybody I know has just the best time watching that movie. So this is a question I've been just intrigued about ever since the we started this show. But how did you get involved in writing for Sip Pop? I think like a lot of people, you know, I started off on Cinema Sins and then Aaron came on um, and the other Aaron. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, yeah, that Aaron. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he came on and like talked about it. And, okay, so whenever I listen to Sif Pop, I always tend to agree with Aaron, but then sometimes I agree with Andrew, which is something that I really love is the fact that I always have someone that I agree with in my in my movie opinions. Um, but, yeah, so I started listening to them, always loved it, loved the format. And then when they announced that they were doing SwiftPop.com, I've been writing online reviews since about 2015. And I was just on the train home one day and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to send, you know, through the contact us form. I'm just going to say if you, I'd love to join. And then I got um, uh, emailed from Blake. I got a response from Blake and then, you know, rest is history. <laughs> and that was about June. Oh no, maybe September last year, June or September last year. Okay. Yeah. Cool. It's it's crazy to me just to to always hear these stories of how people get writing and how people come to Sif Pop in general. Um, I think a lot of people have come because of 
cinema sins. Uh, and I mean, that's just a good testament too. And I, I find myself agreeing with Aaron on a lot of things as well. I think whenever he's on the, uh, on the show, the, uh, of cinema sins that he, uh, I, I agree with him more than I agree with any of the other three guys, especially when they do their like year end thing. And, uh, and I, I tend to agree with him more than Andrew. Uh, I'm a big last Jedi apologist. The, the one thing that I just don't see, uh, is, is Roma. So Aaron, if you're listening, I, I apologize for breaking your heart. I just, I can't understand. I can't get it. I don't, I know it's just an entirely thematic piece of art. Mm-hmm. That, that kind of stuff just isn't for me. I, I hate Terrence Malick stuff. And so mm-hmm. I just, Roma's just not going to be for me. It, on similar terms of, um, as you with Roma, I am not a fan of La La Land. I hate oh. that movie. I, okay. And the reason is I loved it until the end. And then I got mad. I got so angry. <laughs> I and see, and well, and here's here's the here's the interesting part to that. And spoilers if you haven't seen La La Land, yeah. like, it's four years old. So. Yeah. <laughs> and we just had a six month period where you weren't doing anything, so kind of <laughs> it's on you at this point. But there, here's the thing about La La Land: though. I felt the same way when I left the theater, but I also felt like I hate him, I hate him, I hate him, but also I love him, and like I hate that these two can't be together, but it makes sense, and it's mm-hmm. such a bold move, and I just. I can't. I just respect the hell out of Damien Chazelle, especially mm. the part that really makes me mad, especially on rewatches, is is because they show you a glimpse of if Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone would have gotten together, mm-hmm. and that's the part where you're like, oh, were they just going for psycho? It's like, no, that was the psycho, and it's just like. <laughs> You didn't have to lift my spirits yes. only to crush him again. <laughs> exactly. And the thing is, that was on one of my days where I watched three in one day. I think, um, I don't remember what the other two were. I remember one was, I think, John Wick 2. And then there was a, th- a third movie we watched uh, that day, me and my friend. But I went in going, this is going to be that classic, you know, old time classic movie musical, romantic comedy movie musicals. Like I went in with like a singing of the rain vibe. I was all ready for happiness and then it just crushed my soul at the end and I was so mad. I was like, this is not what I was advertised. And you get you get happiness for one song. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I was loving it until, and then I was like, no, nah, they'll get back together. That's not enough of a reason for people to break up. And then they just didn't. And I was like, and I left, I literally stormed out of the cinema when it finished. I was so mad. But So yeah, that that's my one thing that like, I know that heaps and heaps of people love it, but I just can't. I can't. I can't go back. It broke my heart, and I can't go back. You gotta go back. <laughs> just please go back for me. Okay, maybe. <laughs> so, um, Nor, I'm gonna add one question in mm-hmm. here that uh, just since the uh, the uniqueness of this uh, this of, of you being here, <laughs> this person, <laughs> and that is, I just I'm gonna play the ignorant American card here. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm not really sure exactly how Australian cinema works. I know that like a lot of other countries, I mean, you get Hollywood movies. I don't, I don't think that you get every movie, uh, but at least you'll get the big blockbusters and things like that. And I don't, I don't know that Holly, that Australia produces many original movies. I mean, I know that Mad Max is kind of the typical example of that was an Australian movie that worked its way into American cinemas. You know, the rest is history. Hollywood kind of amplified that a little bit, but I, I just, I'm not really sure how the process works. Can you? Just clue me and all the other people that are just too afraid to ask. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, it's it, I would say it's pretty similar. We do get, I would say, 95% of the movies you guys get. It's just kind of spread out. So we've got your normal bigger theatres, which here are like Village and Hoyts, and they get all the, the major movies. And then we have independent 
theatres. So my very favourite cinema in Melbourne, which is where I live uh, in Australia, is Cinema Nova, which is uh, I think it's the biggest independent cinema in Australia. Um, and they get all the all the ones that normally would get missed. Um, and if not them, another independent cinema will. But the thing, in terms of difference, we will either get things at the exact same time as you guys, which because of time zones, we'll get it a little bit earlier because our releases tend to be Thursday nights. And so that's like Wednesday something, like Wednesday time for you guys. And then, uh, and then obviously now I feel like it's been going like Thursday nights, but then there's the midnight screening and now we'll get Wednesday night like releases. Um, so we have that. And then when it comes to other like smaller movies, it's sometimes delayed even up to a month. Like it's as, mm. as a person who always listens to podcasts and hears all these things, I'm like, I want to watch this movie and I can't watch it anywhere. And sometimes I so, do. So yeah. an example of like a smaller movie, something like the peanut butter Falcon yeah, yeah, exactly. 100%. Peanut Butter Falcon. Um, hang on, let me just let me just go on IMDb yeah. and then I'll just quickly... I'll yeah, quickly and, and while you're doing see, that, see um, to, to give you an idea, the listeners, an idea about the time difference, uh, Alice and I started recording at 4.30pm on Thursday Central Time, uh, and it's 7.30am Friday in yeah. Australia. So big time difference. So yeah, that, that movie mix-up is uh, Ab- quite substantial. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but one that will probably not get in cinemas f- like for a while after you guys is going to be like the Steve Carell movie Irresistible. Like that's not even out here yet. It's been okay. out for you guys. We don't have access to that. Yeah, but um, you have Tenet, right? Uh, well, no. Well, okay. So another thing is, so I live <laughs> in Melbourne at the moment and uh, we're in stage four lockdown because mm. of COVID, uh, which means that everything, uh, my entire state is, and basically what it means is that everything is closed except for supermarkets and like health clinics and pharmacies, that sort of thing. So that's how we're living until at least mid-September and then hopefully it starts to roll back. But my, the cinemas have been closed here since uh, pretty much since March. Like we haven't had anything new really come since yeah. March. There was a brief period around sort of April, May where they kind of started opening again and all they were playing was like old movies, or, um, you know, like Bloodshot and Onward movies that were playing beforehand, yeah. so we didn't get anything new. Uh, but ordinarily, we would have Tenet, and it is killing me that I have to wait for it because I'm a huge Christopher Nolan fan. And so, um, but yeah, so that's kind of how that works. In terms of Australian cinema, um, it is exactly kind of how you say it. it doesn't really happen that often. Something that I really don't like about Australian cinema is that um, – there is a lot of sort of like government handling uh, with all our creative projects. And so they tend to have like a budget and then they just split it out across all these projects, which ends up with quality that isn't as high as your average sort of American independent movie. So for example, um, where was one year a few years ago where there was a $2 million budget, like total, and they split it across 15 films. So obviously, yeah. And so it's like a $2 million budget on its own is is on the lower end of an American independent fil- yeah. um, film. And so it just frustrates me uh, because there's so many great voices. There's so much talent down here. Um, but, yeah, and obviously all the people that are working in film that become successful tend to hop on over to England or America as soon as they can, which is frustrating because it's like we have that. We have stories and we have capabilities, but um, part of the reason is also because the films that tend to get approved by the government are what I would call like Australiana type films. So 
similar in terms of like Mad Max where it's all like the desert and it's Australia and it's about, you know, the outback. And it's just like, can we just do a normal movie or like a cool sci-fi or something that has nothing to do with Australia? Like it doesn't need to be about the country to make it be good, which is something that is not quite getting. And a lot of people find this exact thing frustrating um, that I've talked to about it. It's just kind of like we, we can and we do every now and again just produce normal movies that are really amazing. Uh, one I'd recommend is called Holding the Man, which is based on um, a true story that happened in Melbourne about these two guys who fell in love in the 70s in high school and kind of just had to deal like deal with all the repercussions and, and you know, uh, there was the AIDS epidemic and everything. And it's just a beautiful romance. That's what it is. It just happens to be Australian. And it's an amazing story. And that's exactly the sort of thing I want to see more of. Just great stories that happen to be Australian. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's worth noting that you uh, you mentioned that theaters opened for a little bit. But at one point, Australia had no COVID cases in the country. And then America had to ruin it for you somehow. Because uh, that's what <laughs> yeah. Americans do, is ruin life for the rest <laughs> of the world. Uh, and for Americans. So... <laughs> um, we are we are currently just opening uh, movie theaters again. Uh, mm-hmm. This I mean, as we're we're recording. So um, mm. this this past week for when this episode launches with New Mutants and whatnot. I mean, there have been some that have already opened, but that aren't necessarily showing any new things. At least anything that's actually worth seeing, probably. Mm. So so we're just, we're just seeing that, and yeah, I, mean, I I think we're gonna see closures again. Mm. So. So just a reminder for the people that are listening to the show, just because movie theaters are open does not mean that you have to go to them and yes, support your cinema, but also stay safe and keep other people safe. And so use your judgment wisely, use your context, your location wisely and mm-hmm. all of that. Uh, I don't want to promote either way of going or don't going. It's up to you, but please just make smart decisions. Like where I'm going, we currently have a 48% test positivity rate of COVID. So everybody that gets tested 48%, which is epidemically high, so I will not be going to the theaters in Iowa City, but yeah, hundred percent. When when I did when we did have that brief moment where the cinemas were open, uh, me and my partner only went to the drive-in, and that's just because I was so I was so desperate to go to a movie of some kind and have some movie popcorn. Sure. So I'm gonna make an assumption then too. Probably more American movies are shot in Australia than Australia produces movies per year. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, like uh, you know, we had recently there was Ragnarok and right. I think some of the Hobbs and Shaw movie or something. Um, yeah, no, definitely because you know we have, like I said, we have amazing locations. Yeah. we're just not using them, right? Right. Well, and then there's there's a lot of movies that traditionally use your you know Sydney or whatever that are very blatantly yeah. set in Australia, but there are also plenty of movies that just use Australia as you know, a, mm-hmm. a barren wasteland like Mad Max Fury Road uh, and, yeah. and things like that. So that's crazy. And, you know, I know enough about geography to know that New Zealand is right next to Australia, but it's a separate country. New Zealand famous for yeah. lots of movies such as the Lord of the Rings trilogy primarily. I think King Kong is also shot there. The Peter Jackson one? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. And then obviously all the Taika Waititi stuff. Yeah, I love me some Taika. Well, hey, I got one more um question before mm-hmm. i want to move on to a silly question i realize we're taking a lot on this but i think it's an important conversation i'm having a lot of fun so yeah. i know streaming services very different uh from different countries from different regions mm-hmm. like uh, i interact with jerry simser a lot on twitter and he lives in canada and they don't have hulu in canada is there any i mean hulu hbo disney plus i know i know there's a lot of times like you get a couple like i think disney plus launched like a couple months later in australia but like what all don't you get and is there yeah. anything that you get that we don't get that you're like, this is amazing and I wish you had it? 
Yeah, so, okay, I will say that the TV sphere, until streaming became a huge thing, the TV sphere was barren in Australia. It was, we got almost nothing. It was terrible. Um, But now with streaming, it's a lot better. So we get, yeah, like Netflix, Amazon Prime, uh, Disney Plus, we have all those. What we don't have is Hulu, HBO Max, that sort of thing. So what we have instead is this streaming service called Stan. Um, And that has kind of everything that isn't on the other three I mentioned that would probably be on your Hulu or on your more other, maybe like cable or something like CBS All Access. A lot of shows you guys get on CBS All Access, for example, is actually on our Netflix. We have a lot of uh, Australian shows that randomly pop up um, on there as well. Um, or like, But we also get shows like RuPaul's Drag Race. That gets shown on Stan, for example. And then HBO, all the HBO stuff is owned by Foxtel. So Foxtel's kind of our version of cable. Um, there isn't like multiple companies. It's just Foxtel. It's incredibly expensive. I would never, ever pay for it. But they, are the, they have HBO. So they were the only access we had to Game of Thrones when it was playing. Got it. And, um, you, you know, you've probably heard about how Game of Thrones was once, once the most pirated TV show mm-hmm. on, you know, in, on the internet. And the, part of the reason, I reckon, is in Australia, everybody knew that everybody was pirating it. Like no one was, no one was watching it through Foxtel because no one could afford, you know, 120 bucks a month just for HBO. Well, and HBO was proud of that fact. They're like, we love that we're producing yeah. something that everybody's got to get their hands on one way or another. It's like, yeah, you know, exactly, exactly. And so um, now Foxtel has made uh, this streaming service called Binge. Um, so I've got a couple of years of free Foxtel because of my uh, internet deal. But as soon as that's over, I'll be going on to Binge. Um, but that's kind of what's showing all our like prestigious stuff. And also a lot of reality cool. stuff is on Foxtel. So I've got Netflix, Stan, Amazon Prime, uh, Disney Plus. Oh, and then we also have um, publicly owned uh, like channels, I guess. They're ABC and SBS here. And we get a lot of shows streaming on their on-demand, which is completely free, which is great. But, for example, Handmaid's Tale, I watch through SBS On Demand. And Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I watch through SBS On Demand. So it's just kind of like mixed and matched across what we have. <laughs> Man, I love the way that you you pronounce some things, and I think I'm going to start. It, okay. it, just, the way that you say HBO, I don't, I, don't, oh. I, can, I don't know if I can emulate it, but I just love it. Okay. <laughs> no, I, yeah. So uh, anyway, that's fun. So all right, so I have one silly question mm-hmm. for you before we move on, and, uh, and I promise it's the last question I'm going to ask you before we start actually oh, talking cool. about the content we were playing. And I, I specifically tailored this silly question for you, mm-hmm. and I, I, I definitely know the answer for this question, okay. but is Foster's really Australian for beer? No. <laughs> no, I don't know anyone that actually drinks Foster's. Uh, as a Melbourneite, um, I can tell you that we are very into the catered, um, like, independent beers. Uh, I mean, you can say VB is for all your all the tradies, um, but, uh, Victorian bitter uh, VB is kind of the, like, the beer of Australia, but... Um, otherwise it's generally like everyone has their favorite and it'll be, you know, we've got white rabbit and like Mornington Peninsula beer. Um, so yeah, no, Foster, nobody, I literally don't know one person that drink Foster, drinks Foster's. Yeah. I've, I, I know some people that have either been in contact with people from Australia mm-hmm. or man, saying being in contact <laughs> just has a different connotation to it now, but some people that have either been to Australia or know some people that live in Australia or know some people that spent some years in Australia and yet not, not one person has ever said they've ever seen somebody with a Foster's. Yeah. I can also That's... say that we don't call 
shrimp shrimp we call them prawns so that whole put a shrimp on the barbie mate is not a thing that we do either (laughs) on that note let's move on to our coming attractions uh we're gonna be talking about superman man of tomorrow today now this is not a live action movie coming out um so this is not your henry cavill superman nor is this like a cheap knockoff movie that's coming out this is the dc animated universe property and this is also great because we're recording this less than a week after dc fandom so we kind of got to experience a lot of the things. And gosh, I'm so excited about some of those. Man, there are two games that they announced. The Suicide Squad killed the Justice League and Batman Gotham Knights. I have all of my heart and specifically Gotham Knight. And so anyway, that's just a side note since we're talking about uh, DC properties. Anyway, on to Superman Man of Tomorrow. So what DC has been doing for the last several years has been doing uh, a shared animated universe And so with the start of, I believe, Justice League Flashpoint Paradox, that was the start of a connected animated universe. And every now and then they would have ones that aren't connected in that. So the Batman, the Killing Joke and Superman Red Sun were not a part of that. And then that led all the way till Justice League Apocalypse War. And so um, that has definitively ended this that era where they had like the same Superman act, voice actor and a lot of those similar people. This is kind of kicking off a new, I don't think they're going for a shared universe anymore. I don't think they're trying to connect these at all. Uh, but this is just a new Superman movie. But uh, Superman Man of Tomorrow is uh, coming out. It's First of all, it's already out. If you are on VOD, you can buy it two weeks early, early access like they do a lot. Uh, but it's going to be hitting home shelves um it's going to be available to buy physical copies of the synopsis here is daily planet intern clark clark kent takes learning on the job to new extremes when lobo and parasite set their eyes on metropolis so alice you've at least done a little bit of research about this uh this movie what are your thoughts about this if this were going to be a theatric release and you know you didn't you weren't in phase four (laughs) if covid wasn't a thing anymore uh, when do you think that you'd be getting around to see this theater? Are you so excited you want to see it opening night or catch it in a in a matinee, wait for it to, to rent, wait till it's on a streaming service that you own? Or are you just not interested in this movie? Um, so I've never really been into the animated DC stuff, um, but I watched the trailer and, I, I mean, I've been recommended it. Like, for example, Flashpoint, I probably will get around to it. And I've been getting into comic books late re- very recently uh, much more so it's probably something I'm much more open to but I, I would still say with this movie I would end up probably waiting for it to be streaming before I watched it and that's just because yeah like I said I've never been a, a, I've never really watched an animated DC movie before um, so it's not something that would there's probably you know when the world was normal there'd probably be something else that would distract me yeah, I think I'm on the same level as you. Uh, I do like a lot of these DC animated things. There's not been a ton that I like. I, I'm I'm definitely not a completionist. I've not seen them all. I watch the ones that I'm interested in. So I've seen like the Justice League Dark ones. I've seen uh, Superman Red Sun, Batman Hush, a lot of the Batman ones. I like that they're not necessarily going for a tied connected universe anymore. I think that's a good move on their part. I think that just kind of moving along past that and just making these standalone stories is a good route to go. That way we can get things that don't necessarily feel forced or rushed, but that we can have access to, that we can just see and experience. And I can finally be like, yes, I can see Hush on the big screen. And it doesn't bother me that there's that one scene that very clearly ties it into to what was going on with the reign of the Superman. But I also just, I'm not a big Superman fan. Uh, I mean, I think he's fine. I just, I, I don't know. He's hard. He's hard to kill. He's hard to defeat. I want my superheroes to be a little bit more vulnerable I like the idea of Superman and I get that he's kind of the original and that's like the whole point is that he's supposed to be practically invulnerable. 
I don't know. I, I, I'm not personally a fan of Superman. And so, I, that, I mean, that kind of that kind of knocks me down. But I think there's also a lot to like about this movie. Are you are you typically a Superman fan? Yeah, no, I was about to say I kind of agree with everything you say. Um, like, and actually exactly like you, um, based on what I've heard in previous podcasts, I'm, I'm pretty much on the same page as you are with all the DCEU stuff as well. And with Man of Steel, it was like, it was fine. And like, he- like Henry Cavill's a great Superman, but just like you said, I think Superman's kind of meh as a superhero goes because he is a bit too cookie cutter. Um, and then, but that's kind of his whole shtick. And so it's just like, eh, yeah, I mean, I prefer, you know, a, a, a different one personally. Like I, I would probably go, yeah, Wonder Woman, um, just for everyone to know, Wonder Woman's my favorite superhero of all time. So when she finally got a big screen adaptation, I was incredibly excited. And I'm so, so glad that the DCEU didn't mess that up. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I think that, yeah, Superman's fine. He, like you said, he's very sort of, he's very strong. He's kind of perfect. It's he doesn't really have a lot of flaws except for kryptonite, which is always a bit like, all right, we, we know about kryptonite. Um, but what I will say about this movie, what really, really intrigued me is the cast. It's got a really great cast. I mean, Darren Chris, I love from a very Potter musical, but also I was a huge Glee nerd as a teen. Um, Dar- Zachary Quinto, you know, I think he's a fantastic actor. Um, I loved him on American Horror Story and also on, um, you know, in Star Trek, he's, I, I, I like him as fucking Star Trek and stuff too. And yeah, me too. Yeah. And then he's got, it's got some, some actors that are like ones I know from TV shows I love. So for example, Brett Dalton was on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and I'm a huge Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fan. It, I yeah, genuinely think it got so much better around season like three and then it's just been excellent kind of since then. Um, it really grabbed its footing. Yeah. So Brett Dalton on there, I'm really interested in. Alexander Daddario, I always, she doesn't tend to be in a lot of good movies, but I always like her in those movies. Um, and then like even Eugene Bird, for example, he's from Bones. So it's like all these people that I recognize and I'm kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. Hang on. I might actually watch this now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point while we're talking about the, uh, the, the voice actors here. I mean, so Derek Chris uh, is playing Superman slash Clark Kent. I don't know him. He's, uh, mm-hmm. he's apparently also been in a couple seasons of American Horror Story, which yeah. I watched the first two seasons of and mm. Don't intend on picking it back up. An so, American Crime Story. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm like, I'm with you. I like Zachary Quinto as Spock. I think him. He's cast here as Lex Luthor. I mean, that's just perfect. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's great. Um, and then you man- mentioned Alexandria Daddario. She is playing Lois Lane, which also like seems like a pretty great voice cast uh, for that. Like, get a big name uh, to play this character. Uh, she's. I'm with you. She's not in the. I, I haven't seen a ton of the movies she's been in. She's. Uh, I've seen. Baywatch, which I try to forget that I've seen that. <laughs> and I've seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, I believe, I mm-hmm. think. I don't know. Just because I wanted to kind of get a little experience of Leatherface. And uh, that was not a very good movie at all. And then I've seen San Andreas because mm-hmm. I wanted to go to the movies and there was literally nothing that I wanted to <laughs> yeah. see. Uh, and so I was like, well, whatever. Yeah, so uh, so she's playing Lois Lane, and then you got Brett Dalton, who you mentioned on Agents of Shield. Uh, he's playing Parasite, uh, which is one of the villains here. Uh, a couple other notable names that I want to throw out here is uh, Ryan Hurst, who plays Opie in Sons of Anarchy. And if you haven't seen Sons of Anarchy, he he plays the quarterback from Remember the Titans, uh, Gary Bertier. And so I'm a bit I'm a big Ryan Hurst fan. I think he needs more roles. I think he's a great actor that just for some reason, hasn't become a household name. Uh, he's great. He's playing Lobo 
And I think that's a great cast. Really excited about that. And then Neil Flynn, of course, uh, the janitor from Scrubs, as I've been watching through Scrubs again, playing Jonathan Kent, which was, it didn't seem to work. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and so that kind of that kind of bothered me a little bit. But, you know, I, I like Neil Flynn uh, in general. I think he's also pretty great in the middle as the father. But it, there's a couple things there. But I, I, I'm really excited about a couple of these things. Primarily, first of all, we're getting Martian Manhunter in this movie. I don't know how much, but at least some. Uh, so that's really exciting, uh, and as well as just Lobo in general. I don't know that we've ever seen Lobo on this on the screen. Um, I've never seen a movie with Lobo in it, and I think Lobo is a really cool character, uh, and I'm very interested in seeing him. He's a he's known among comic people, but I there's very few people that are only watch live action stuff that have probably ever heard of Lobo, mm. and uh, I'm really so I'm really excited for for him to kind of make an appearance there there's some really big red flags for me here so the writer and director seem very inexperienced on this so tim sheridan is writing this and i mean he's got a lot of writing credits for um, animated stuff which is cool but there's things that like justice league action shorts and lego dc superhero girls and scooby-doo and the gourmet ghost which <laughs> what's that and scooby-doo the curse of the 13th ghost and he did an episode of Teen, Teen Titans Go, and the only kind of actual legit cred that he has is he uh, was on the Reign of the Superman writing team, which honestly, that's one of my least favorite of the DC animated movies that have come out recently, so that is not a a big thing for me. He is, he's on the Masters of the Universe Revelation miniseries, which is in pre-production. Uh, that's the one that's going to have Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill, and I believe uh, Kevin Smith is involved with that to some degree. There's a lot of big names in here. Lena, uh, Lena Headey, Justin Long, Jason Mewes. Yeah, Jason Mewes. That means that Kevin Smith's got to be involved. And Harley Quinn Smith and all that. So um, anyway, so he, he to me, just based off of Reina, Reina the Superman, that's not doing anything for me. And then uh, Chris Palmer, who has not, he's only directed one thing before this. And it's been a couple episodes of the Voltron Legendary Defender series, which I think I've heard of, but this mm. Voltron's not really my thing. But he was a story artist on How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, and big fan of that. Uh, he's done some Ultimate Spider-Man, some Young Justice, some Avatar Legends of Korra, Hulk and the Agents of Smash, Batman Limited, Justice League versus Teen Titans. Like he, He's been on the art department on a lot of these really cool projects, and these are a lot of like visually really good things. Mm. So, I mean, I think this movie is going to visually look good, but... Art department does not necessarily translate to capable director yeah. in my book. We also and, we all saw what happened when uh, visual effects director moved over, visual effects person moved over to director with Snow White and the Huntsman. So yeah, or or Wally Fisher from yeah. cinematography to to transcendence. So yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, there, there's just as many positives as there are negatives for me, but I think the negatives outweigh the positives just a little bit more considering mm -hmm. their weight. So that's why I land in streaming. Do you have anything else to say? Um, no, yeah, I was just going to say with Chris Palmer, like it's cool that he's done Cora. I've just finished watching that for my very first time, which I think is a really visually dynamic show. Um, and then obviously I love the How to Train Your Dragon series, but just kind of like how we mentioned visual, like being good at the visual stuff doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be good at the directing stuff. So I'm a bit nervous, but I'll probably check it out if it pops up on my streaming. Yeah, yeah, well, especially since here in America I have HBO Max, and that's where a lot of the DC stuff is tending to go. Yeah. If if and when this happens to land on there, I'll probably check it out, but I'm not going to actively seek out this, and that's all I have to say about that. Yeah.
So let's move out of the Sif topic now. We're going to be talking about a nostalgic movie that Alice decided to pick today. So she almost immediately picked The Black Cauldron. So I kind of told her what the basis of us talking about these is. And it's like, I want a movie that you haven't seen in probably 10, 15 years that you have really fond memories of. And I want to see if they hold up. And she sent me a message back like, cool, I'll think about it and I'll get back to you. And then like seriously, two minutes later, was like, wait, no, 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 The Black Cauldron. And I was like, oh, okay, I, we're, we're going for that. And so... Synopsis for this is a young boy and a bunch of misfit friends embark on a quest to find a dark magic item of ultimate power before a diabolical tyrant can. And that's sort of half right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just a little little glimpse of this movie is that this has a 6.4 on IMDb, a 59 on Metacritic, and a 55% critics score on Rotten Tomatoes. A little bit of our history with the movie. Alice, since you picked it, why don't you go first? So, um, yeah, I, I watched it as a kid. You know, when you're a kid, you just watch a bunch of Disney movies. Don't even think that this uh, think about them. But this one really ingrained in my brain. And um, I assume that because it's a 1985 movie, we don't mind about spoilers. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's a scene toward the end with one of the characters, Gurgi, where he sacrifices himself. And that scene... I don't know if I'd call it trauma. I don't know if I'd call it fascination, but something about it just ingrained in my brain and it just haunted me for years. Like it just, it's its just something, but not like in a, I'm terrified, I never want to go back way, just in a, oh my God, that was so dark. I was not expecting that way. And so I, it's like not even the rest of the movie is something that, that affected me, but that particular bit really hit me hard. And since then, it's just been part of the, where I always think about it like, whoa, that was a weird movie. And then, you know, yeah, so that, that was kind of my, my thing. So I was really interested to go back and see how I'm going to process it now as an adult, like the full thing. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to talk about that moment as we get in, a, mm-hmm. in this. But uh, I, I'm pretty sure I've never seen this movie before. My parents had a lot of Disney VHSs because I was the youngest of four kids. And, and this was back when like VHSs were a thing. And my family has always been a buy, don't, uh, not rent type of mentality so they would always just buy and they're like well you know we'll, i'll eventually watch it or i won't and especially like with a lot of these disney ones you know they get you know at garage sales or because you know vhs is in the late 90s or hmm. man if only people knew how much those things were worth today yeah yeah um so i'm pretty sure we had this one but we had a whole closet full of disney vhs's and like i i mean frankly as a kid i was just interested in watching toy story over and over again until i died and like was content with that so i'm pretty sure we've seen it i'm pretty sure i recognize the box art and all that i and i'm pretty sure like maybe like ha, like my older siblings had seen it but just never when i was around when i was around or had watched it and i decided to do something else i think i got this for some reason confused a little bit with the sword and the stone and i don't know why uh maybe it's just because the sword thing like the actual ma- the magic sword uh, so i think i got this confused with that but like i said i don't think i've seen this i'm pretty sure we had it as a kid um, and I did watch this movie for this podcast, uh, obviously, because can't talk about a movie you haven't seen in full detail. <laughs> but what did you think on this rewatch, Alice? Did you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? Oh, I'm so sad to report that I think it was just okay. <laughs> and that's just, and that's probably more than it deserves. But there's a part of my, my inner child that's just, will always be connected to it. But just okay is where I'm going with. Yeah. Well, and this is why I love doing this nostalgia topic is because, I mean, not not because I want to crush your experience, but because <laughs> I think it's really interesting the way that nostalgia affects us. I'm going to land in the dislike it category. And if we, when this movie ended, I might have been on the low side of OK. 
but I've I saw it a week ago and nah, this just this just is not a good movie. There's enough to like about it for me to be like I don't hate it, but for the most part, we'll get into it in specifics. But for the most part, I don't think this movie works. Um, kind of like you alluded to earlier, there's a lot of potential here that is just very unrealized. So I mean, we'll so we'll talk about that a little bit. I just I just think that's really fascinating. Like you would probably would be where I am if you had not seen it and loved it so much as a child. But uh, but let's just dive into it. So what do you want to talk about mm-hmm. first? Yeah, well, something I I don't know how much of the history you know about it, but something that really fascinates me about this movie is that, um, so it's based on a a series of books, which I haven't read, but um, when they first animated it, there is a lot of this movie that was left on the cutting room floor because um, the execs at Disney saw the the original cut and was like, this is way too dark. We're never going to publish this how it is. We need to cut out like 50% of this. And you can really see it in the movie that there's a lot missing. There's a lot that was cut out. Um, and that's just really, it, it, it's really sad because I reckon that the bits that they would have cut out, A, would have probably made it a more coherent story, would have made the characters so much more interesting. And I just think they did, I don't know what they cut out, but there's still a lot of really dark stuff in this movie yeah. that I'm kind of like, well, I mean, I would I might, you might as well just kept the whole thing in. But um, what's really interesting is that it's, you know, Disney refused to release it for a really long time on, um, like, at home. And um, and then on top of that, they will never, I don't even know if they still have copies of the deleted scenes. And so they, you know, they could release it fully, but they won't because of some weird thing, you know, some, some weird thing that they've decided upon. Um, but I'm just, I've always been really, really interested in like, what, what, what are they missing? What's left? And I'm, I just, yeah, like I said, I reckon it would be so much better if all the stuff that was cut out would be put back in. Yeah. This, this feels like a movie that was finalized and then the studio said cut half of it out. That's, that's kind of the tone that I feel that's, that was kind of helping my understanding of this movie while watching it. Yeah, I have some thoughts about this movie. Most of them are just mm-hmm. unconfused, but I, I want to start off with a huge positive, and that is I really miss two like genuine two D animation. Oh, me too. Like, to see this, 100%. to see this hand drawn, it's so vivid in its colors. A lot of them are dark, but they're they're they really stand out when they are uh, colorful. And the the darks itself, I mean, there's so many different shades that they use, and I mean, you could tell this is hand drawn. It, fe- it it feels very nostalgic to me, even though I don't think I've seen this movie. Uh, and I really miss it. I wish more. I get. I get that it is more time and more expensive to to do genuine two D animation anymore. But I almost feel like if they did something like this, that would be again today. It would be a huge hit. Kind of like uh, you know, especially with the quality of stuff Disney's been doing, and especially I think yeah. if you get to just think about things a little bit longer, you kind of get to to like. I think Disney's putting out some really good content, even aside from Pixar, like Moana and Wreck It Ralph and whatnot. But I feel like, you know, if you get to spend three years on a 2D animation project, you get three years to think about, is this actually good? And uh, and we just be really specific and intentional, intentional about a lot of this stuff. And, uh, and I mean, even TV shows, they've all moved away from traditional 2D animation. And I, I almost feel like kind of like in 2011, when The Artist came out, and that was a huge hit just because most of the people, at least my age, had not ever seen a black and white movie with no talking in yeah. it and so at least at least people were just interested to check that out and so i mean i think that i think that disney could do something like this now and make a huge profit off of it 
Yeah, no, I 100% agree, especially because um, I know that the last movie they put out kind of testing these waters was Princess and the Frog, yeah. and it didn't do nearly as big as as, it normal, as the other Disney movies do. However, you got to, yeah, you got to take into perspective that in 2009, Disney was not the magnate it is now. Yeah. You know, it was just like another production company, another film company, but now it's so huge. And on top of that, I think that there's something quite ageless about 2D hand-drawn animation. Like, I mean, if you think about it, think about the first Toy Story and think about the new Toy Story. Yeah. The difference in the computer graphics is insane. Like, it looks like it's a completely different animation studio and that's just natural because it's developed over time like the the tech the tech and the talent that disney have now is is amazing but i can go back and watch lion king i can go back and watch little mermaid i can go back and watch cinderella today and it does not feel aged to me in its animation it's still flawless it's still beautiful you know like you said the colors the pictures the lines they're just so um, there's some there's something just enchanting about them that I think is is the reason why, for example, even Snow White, the very first movie Disney ever made, you know, that's from the 30s, and people still watch it today without even thinking about it because you wouldn't you wouldn't even think about it the fact that it's so old. Yeah. Um. So I think that there's that agelessness and that that that's missing from the computer graphic stuff that I really would I would love to see 2D come back. Well, and I mean I've been watching a lot of 2D animation uh, recently just because my wife is a big Disney fan and I just I, again I grew up kind of end of that and so to- Toy Story what came out the year I was born and so I grew up in 3D animation world where they were still figuring mm-hmm. it out. Things like that just weren't weren't really into me and so I haven't seen a lot of these in forever. It even holds up better today than it did in the past because v- I mean VHS tapes were were so, were so limited and the jump from VHS to DVD even in the animation stuff was remarkable and then the jump from DVD to Blu-ray has even gotten better and now they've started re-releasing some of these in 4K and as a 4K collector a 4K disc collector mm-hmm. uh, I'm not going to go buy every one of them on there but there have been some that I'm really impressed with uh, I think the one of the only like older um, Disney 4Ks that I own and have seen i have the lion king and i have aladdin and i haven't seen the lion king on 4k yet um but aladdin is i've seen some people remark negatively about the 4k disc on that one but the colors are so vivid if you have an hdr tv it is worth getting the the original aladdin on 4k because seeing genie bright blue he has an aura around him that i'd never seen before he really pops off the screen he's exactly the way they intended him to be it's just you're right. 2D animation is timeless. On the topic of like princesses and, and classic Disney, I Lonwe, the princess in this, I think she is a badass. So she like never ever really needs the help of the hero Taryn. And she is the one who kind of like saves him. And I feel like no she's technically a Disney princess. Not even technically, she is she's a princess from Disney. But no one knows about her. And I feel like she deserves some uh, her day in the sun. You know? I, I had a different perspective from her. Uh, she, oh. she, she doesn't ever need the whoever the main character kid is. That I, I literally don't know anybody's name in here except for Aaron. except for Gurgi, and I don't, I don't yeah. think anybody else's name is important except for Gurgi. <laughs> um, yeah. But the uh, the oh yeah, Taryn. That's right, because Taryn Edgerton. I was thinking the whole time because I was yeah. like, I've, I've never heard his name before Kingsman, but yeah. The, the name tear in itself but he i don't think he she needs him ever but she kind of reminds me uh i know you haven't listened to last week's episode with robert yet because by the time we're recording this it's been out for barely 24 hours but yeah. i referenced that uh there's a character in rope that just kind of feels 
like uh like a like a Charlie Chaplin character that but like mm-hmm. not Charlie Chaplin himself, but like somebody that Chaplin picks on. Uh, you know, kind of like you know, knocking him on the shoulder, but then running to the other side, and then like you know, hitting him in the head with a yeah. hammer or whatever. Like, just she kind of feels just like that that character that that character that you just like. You're just like she just kind of happenstances her way into everything, and I, I don't know mm-hmm. if badass is the word that I would use, but she's definitely not a a dependent, and uh, she's mm-hmm. definitely not like a useless character. She's definitely not like. Like just uh, you know, there's a lot of criticism for like Jasmine in uh, in the original yeah. Aladdin. Like she's not just kind of like there because she's a girl and you know, like a hot girl. Like it's not it's not that. It's um, mm. th- she has something to do. I just she just feels kind of like a really lucky klutz. Yeah, but to be fair, all of the characters are kind of like that's that. That's true. <laughs> that's something that I feel is very much uh, something I kind of a, a note I put about the movie is that it doesn't really have like a clear story, like a clear through line. Things just kind of happen to these characters and they just kind of have to deal with it. There isn't a, like um, like we were saying, I think you can tell that there's a lot missing from whether it's the cutting or just poor writing. Like for example, you've got Fluta's harp, like the old guy's harp. I I mean, I think I can tell that it, the strings broke every time he lied. Never explained yeah. why it's magic. The pig, Penwin, we have no idea why she's magic. We don't know how the old guy got her. We don't know who the old guy is. You know, like, we don't know what happened to Taryn's parents. Why is he living with this old dude? And then also, Ilonwi's a princess, but, like, I feel like she's just a princess so that they could say she's a princess. But we never, you know, no one's ever searching for her. She does, never talks about where she came from. Wouldn't people be looking for her? And then what's with her orb? You know, like she just has a magical orb, but it's never, there's just so much never explained. And on top of that, you've got the villain who's just there and the Horned King. And you never know anything about him except that he is terrifying. A lot of the questions that you are asking are some of the same ones. I never particularly thought about Taryn's parents, but yeah, the, the harp, like that was one of the things I was just like, okay, so it must pluck whenever he lies, but why and how is that useful? other than for comedic relief. And that's probably exactly what it's for. And like, he only has four strings on that harp, but there's a scene where he, like three of them get plucked. And then the next scene, there's four again. It's like, are, are, the, yeah. are they magic so that they reappear after five minutes? And like, like I kind of, you know, I'm going to create a fan theory in, my, theory in my head right now that I know somebody that's read the books is going to just come like, just, you know, tell me on Twitter. Yeah. Like, please like tell me on Twitter, make this movie make sense yes. to me, but, and I'll share Alice in on it. But the, um, I'm going to make my own fan theory here that's just going to say that the the harp plucks every time he tells a lie and if it ever plucks all of its strings that he dies because that would give it some actual stakes there's no basis for that other than that's what I want partly because I just want this character to die he's so useless in this movie there's there's no reason for him to exist I I find myself questioning because like Gurgi has its purpose at some point, and the princess has her purpose at some point, and Taryn has his purpose, and the sword is even a better character than this old dude. I just there he I can't find any reason for the old dude to be in this movie at all. It's like the old dude with the harp, not the old dude with the with the yeah. with the oracle pig. Which you're right, what the heck? Like an oracle <laughs> pig. I mean, I'm I'm gonna go with it, but there's there's so much that's left out. The old guy's also just kind of annoying. So it's not just. It's not just a, I don't understand what your purpose is. It's yeah. like, I don't even like you. So I kind of just yeah. would rather a movie, give, give me a cut where it's the 2D animators erased you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I just feel like 
Okay, I, again, I can tell that this is a series of books because I feel like, for example, Fluter and his heart must be really, really important in book two or three sure. or something. And then, and or, or, or there was something cut out explaining his whole shtick. But you're right. The only things he does in this movie is he kind of makes the witches like nicer to them because one of them is obsessed with him and he tells them off and he's like, you shouldn't do that. And then they're like, okay, I guess so. And then listen to him because he's an old guy, I guess. But you're right. He's just kind of there to be that third character. But I think that's, again, just like a lot of the characters, they're they're just there and then they're they're with the story. And then at the end, you know, the Fluda, Taron and Ilonwi all walk off into the distance and you're like, okay. <laughs> right. Well, and that, and that leads me into this point, which is just that there is so much going on in this movie. It's very, it's very yeah. fast paced, but none of it connects to each other. There's, there's no, yeah. there's no like logical reasoning. They're just kind of happenstancing themselves into the, into the progression of this movie. And it's just like, all of a sudden, like, there's not much going on here that makes me believe that any of these characters are actually like, actually know what they're doing. There's so much going on here and there's there's so many things that they're trying to put in this movie and the witches wind up becoming mm-hmm. a really big part of this movie, but the witches don't even show up until like 20 minutes from the end. And you're like, <laughs> where have they been this whole time? And if they're this important, yeah. why haven't I seen them until this recently? And it's just like, uh, and, and Googie, Gurgi, the, the, the best part of this movie is even in like missing from the whole middle chunk of this movie. And that part definitely, mm-hmm. that part of the movie just sucks. The parts, the parts where Gurgi is oh, in, in the castle. Yeah. And it's, yeah. and it's just like, it, there's this character that we love and we're introduced to him. And it's like, sweet. I'm, I'm, I'm here for this character now. Oh, he's going to be gone for the next 30 minutes. Well, I'm going <laughs> to check out for the next 30 minutes. And then he shows yeah. up and immediately sacrifices himself. You're like, Dang it, like, I don't want this movie without Gherky, so... Yeah, but can we talk about the sacrifice? So, like I said, it it traumatized me as a kid. It's so dark. It's so dark because of what he says. He's like, Gherky has no friends. Gherky's all alone. And then, you know, jumps off the, the... Into the Black Cauldron. And you're just like... That's horrible. Yeah. Right. He's it's he's essentially just says like, all right, so the cauldron requires a sacri- a, a willing sacrifice for mm-hmm. it to be essentially shut down. Yeah. And Gurgi is just like, ah, well, I don't really have any friends. Uh, nobody really likes me. You know, I'll just go ahead and do this. And like, there's barely an attempt to stop him. Yeah. He's like, oh no, don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, don't do don't sacrifice yeah, yeah. yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um and can I also just say, like, I feel like Gurgi is really he's the hero of this, I think we can say. Like, I don't think Taryn is. Because I think also if you think about it, Taryn, first of all, he just stumbles into all the good stuff that he goes into. I mean, whenever he defeats all the bad guys, it's not him, it's the sword. And then at the end with the horned king, there there is no that is not a fight. He's just trying to hold on for dear, dear life. And then the king kind of trips into the cauldron and, and, and gets torn apart. Again, terrifying imagery. Um, gets torn apart. But there's no fight. It's just literally like, oh, okay. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, I'm being sucked into the cauldron. And he's Taryn's not doing anything. So- yeah, it almost... It almost feels like the real villains of the movie are the witch based off the final act. The witches based off the final act. It's just like, you know, you're right. I, I think Gurgi's one of the heroes of the story. It's definitely not Terran. Uh, and the sword itself, since it is a inanimate living object, is yeah. definitely a hero of the story. Yeah. But Gurgi's so stinky cute. I love him. And his sacrifice is just like, oh. it's got really dark. 
yeah it's really it's kind of rushed like i don't i don't know that this is earned yeah yeah he just kind of shows up lets him go and then sacrifices himself yeah Um, and, and another, okay, can I also say with Gurgi, low-key, I think Andy Serkis stole Golem's voice from Gurgi, which has never been confirmed, but I went on a huge deep dive into the internet afterwards, and there's a lot of conspiracy articles about it. But it's it's the exact same voice, including the fact that he's all, like, munchings and crunchings. I'm like, come on. Yeah, I would I would be surprised if, uh, if that wasn't the case. Um, I... It's Gurgi, however, sounds like somebody's trying to do like like actually sounds like you're talking like diction and things like that yeah. as Andy Circus's basis. And I totally am for that, but uh for that theory. But Gurgi sounds like somebody's trying to do a decent Donald Duck impersonation through impersonation yes. through through a tin can. Like that's exactly what it sounds like. Yes, that's a um, perfect example. <laughs> and it, it, to some level it's distracting, uh, mm-hmm. and to some level it's just like why does his character sound like this? But also he's just so stinking cute <laughs> and I love him and I don't care. Yeah. As long as he survives. <laughs> yeah. Which obviously he will. Cause Disney, it got dark, but Disney, even Disney's not that dark. Right. 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 <laughs> and I'm going to let someone just sacrifice themselves. Um, well, only- and that's maybe, oh, yeah. that's maybe a good transition to kind of one mm-hmm. of the other points I wanted to make is I'm not sure when or where this movie is supposed to take place. Like it, it feels wild. like it's, Okay, it feels like it's supposed to take place in Middle Earth, just yeah. based off of a lot of things that go on, and so that's kind of you know your, there's your Gollum connection. It it just feels it has that tone. I mean, the Horned King reminds me a lot of Sauron, and, mm. um, and the the presence of magic and the presence of of creatures, and essentially, if the pig is the ring, you got the Fellowship of the Ring right there. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah, I was actually just, just about to say that I think this movie, um, when I was watching it with a couple friends, um, like, virtually, and we were all like, well, that's like Lord of the Rings. Oh, that's like Lord of the Rings. Oh, that's like Lord of the Rings. But then there's also, like, Sword in the Stone themes and, you know, sure. some Beauty and the Beast and Hunchback of Notre Dame. So it's like a bunch of stuff just, like, mashed together. Yeah, like I said, I just let, I just was wondering, confusing. I'm like, this feels like it's either Middle Earth or like King Arthur time, but mm-hmm. there's not once a mention of King Arthur or Merlin or anything like that. It's like you could just very easily put this in like a Merlin type, mm-hmm. you know, make make the Horned King like a rival to Merlin, and there you go. Like mm. that yeah. uh, that explains so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This I, feels I, like it should be in the same like universe as the Sword and the Stone. Yeah. The only reason I think it's Wales is because of the names, like the names and the, that's just, you know, Taryn and Fludor, Fluda rather, like they're very Walesy. You know, you said like how Taryn's like Taryn Edgerton and he's from Wales. So that's the only reason I think it's Wales. Well, and there is British accents in most of the characters as well. Yeah. Yeah. Attempted ones anyways. (laughs) Yeah. And kind of, kind of the only other thing is I, I don't understand the power of the Black Cauldron. They try to just give it to you in the first like two minutes of the movie, and it's like I don't understand why or what this power actually is. They're not specific, or how it gets that power, or why it has that power. I also don't get the sword, why it has its power, how it has its power, and I don't like I said I don't even understand who the villain even is. Partly that the two parted thing kind of like uh, I don't know if it's supposed to be the the horned man or the the witches. And in general, I don't know who the Horn Man is. What's his motivation? What's uh, what? Yeah, what's his motivation as a big thing? Who is he? You know, villains can exist to 
to destroy the world, but why would he want to destroy the world? Like, I, give me some motivation. Like, like that's why I think Thanos is such a good, good villain because we understand why he wants to do what he wants to do. And you know, a lot of a lot of the Disney villains just turn out to happen to be this way. They're just like, I just like killing young princesses or whatever. Yeah. It's just like that's weird fetish, but okay. Yeah, weird kink. Yeah, no, I I 100% agree. And that's the thing. It's not even done in a lazy way like how in Snow White it's like, oh, because she's more beautiful than me and I'm just evil. Or like, you know, in in even in um, Lion King where it's like, you know, he um, Scar wants to be the king. Like it's, it, it's not even done in a lazy one line. They could easily explain so many of these questions in that first, you know how Disney always has the opening narration that kind of explains the backstory, which they have in this kind of to describe the Black Cauldron, but they could have easily made it, you know, a minute longer, half, 30 seconds longer and explained who the Horned King is, you know, why, why, yeah, why does he want to raise an army of the undead and destroy the world? Who's well, the Goblin henchman? <laughs> and, well, and not only, not only that, but the opening narration is like two minutes just staring at a cauldron. Yeah. It's not even like, it's not even like when you get the backstory in the Lord of the Rings and you see, you see the, uh, the transfer of the power of the ring and you see mm-hmm. the use of the ring and things like that. It's not even like when you get backstory that's visually kind of drawn out for you. It's just, it's just a picture of the cauldron and it's just mm-hmm. a voiceover going like, and the cauldron is powerful and yeah. it can raise an army of the dead. Uh, and used to be a king. Did I say it's, did I say it's powerful? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's just no explanation. Um, the only other thing I will say is that the witches really, really reminded me of the fates from Hercules. So I'm thinking that there was some inspiration there and I love Hercules. So even if that was a little bit of inspiration, I'm happy for that. Um, but sure. yeah, especially at the beginning when they first encounter the witches, but again, yeah, the win- witches just seem like this OP force that are the reason they're just like oh well we you know how you're on a quest for the cauldron yeah we have that you go (laughs) there's no you know they just happen to come across it and it's not very difficult at all right yeah exactly like i'll go back to my original point which i think this there was so much potential there's so much i can see this being really cool in the characters and the story and the action and it's just it just doesn't ha- it's not given the time to explore all the themes which is really disappointing yes i agree um and i i see you have a note here that says let's revolt and get the whole movie yeah yeah i mean or let's just try to get an updated remake kind of af- actually based off the books i see you have a note in here that also says i desperately want the remake and mm-hmm. i i would be okay if they made it but because of this animated movie i'm not going to rush to see it but i feel like a lot of people who have this movie in their nostalgia like you do, that they haven't seen it in 10 or 15 years, they'd, they'd flock to the theaters immediately um, yep. to go see it and you know, hopefully have a good experience. Yeah, well, Disney announced this year that they're making a live-action remake. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be a TV show or a oh, movie. Oh, they did? Yeah, they did, yeah. So it's in it's in development. So I'm hoping that maybe a mini-series, like a, a TV show I think would serve this really well. Um, you know, a Disney, maybe like a Mandalorian type thing um, on Disney Plus, but I am intrigued. I really am intrigued to see how it's going to be. Oh yeah, I just I haven't been aware of this, but yeah, it looks like it was announced in June. It's going to be a live action version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's just not much known because it's so early in development. I, yeah. I I would prefer an animated remake as opposed to a live action because of the magical elements here. 
I lo- I generally like the Disney live action remakes, but this feels like it should stick in the in the realm of animation. And I would even you know try to make this even if you want to do it with computers, I would still try to keep it a two D animation mm. vibe. I wouldn't try to go the Moana Wreck It Ralph route. I would try to go uh, call, not call me by your name. <laughs> The animated one, the Japanese animated movie. Your name? Your name. Yeah, like a studio. Yeah, like a Studio Ghibli. Yeah, I don't have anything else to say other than mm-hmm. I'm just, this movie's really short. It's like an hour and twenty minutes, and I'm yeah. kind of happy it is given its current state. Like mm-hmm. I'm totally for seeing the two hour cut of this movie where it makes sense, but as it stands, I was just like, let's just get this over. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think that. I'm very excited for the live action. If it's like I like I said, I think that it could be really good. Let's just hope that the live action they give it the time it deserves. Yeah. Well, uh, I have one more question before we move on. Then, Alice, mm-hmm. you uh, you have had this movie in your past and you revisited it. Do you think this is a movie that for those that are listening uh, that have experienced this movie but haven't seen it in 10, 15 years, would you recommend they rewatch this movie or just let it live in peaceful nostalgia? Um, I think. If you have kids, why not chuck it on? Give them that little bit of trauma that, that gives everyone a bit of character, just like I had. But if you if you don't go back in expecting it to be as good as the Disney classics, if if you're going to watch it, do it purely just to um, just kind of revisit it for your own perspective. But I wouldn't say that it's something to watch because it's going to be really good. Yeah, I I think I would agree. If you have if you have kids. And you have fond memories of this. Mm-hmm. Why not? But especially if you're listening to this portion of the podcast, you've kind of heard all of our gripes. To understand they're going to be there if it doesn't bother you. I mean, why not? But prob- I'm probably going to more emphatically say, oh, just wait and maybe check out the live action remake. And how you feel about that should inform whether you should see this movie again. Yep, I agree. But as we'll talk about in this next segment, sometimes you don't want to go back to the original for yeah. and so uh with that in mind let's move on to our b plot this is from joseph so actually the next couple weeks are going to be from joseph because joseph sent me one message on slack that i am interpreting like six different ways because i feel like there is six different ways to interpret this question and so joseph um who's a fellow writer here at sif pop said and i mentioned this last week when we talked about robert he said uh he said what is something that you really want to see made into a movie and so what I told Robert is that in the next time he's on, we're going to be talking about some real life stories, some biopics, uh, things like that, that we want to see made. Uh, but I've broken this down into a couple of different different ways that we're going to address this question. And the one that we're going to address this this week, Alice, is what are some remakes or reboots that you would actually like to see? I mean, Hollywood is all about making these remakes right now or, or rebooting, you know, what are the ones that you actually think that you're interested in? And just before we start answering, just a quick reminder, if you want us to answer your questions on the show, you can email in any question you want to writersroom at sifpop.com. We will get those in, or you can DM me at twi- on Twitter, or you can DM the Sifpop channel as well at Twitter. Just say, hey, question for the writers room. It could be about the show. It could be about- also feedback if you want to send that there. Like, hey, like, you know, I really don't like Aaron. <laughs> um, uh, not that Aaron, but Aaron. <laughs> and, uh, uh, just any feedback that you might have, any any remarks you want to make on the show, any questions you want us to answer here, whether it's about the show itself or whether it's about writing for Sif Pop or whether it's about just movies in general, anything you want us to answer, go ahead and send those in. But uh, let's 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 just kind of do a back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alice, why don't you start? Let's uh, let's let's hear one 
movie remake uh, TV show and like specify if you want to see it as a you know live action mm-hmm. animation or a uh, a mini series a TV series something like that and with the caveat that we are going to try to avoid things that are actually currently in development but there's going to be at least one kind of red hot <laughs> yeah 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 um yeah so on that I'm going to start off with my red hot one because the rest I think are fine. Um, but the one I know it's currently in development as a TV series, but I need I need to mention it. And that's the Percy Jackson series. Uh, the movies we got, I didn't realize were as bad as they were until I went in and read the books myself. Because um, I, I am a huge mythology nerd, for those who know me. Like anything mythology, I know about it. I know the classic stories. I've read up on them since I was a kid. So when I, the movies came out, I was like, oh, that's cool. I love, you know, Greek mythology, blah, blah, blah. And then I went in and read the books. Now, for those of you that don't know, Rick Riordan has created this universe. It's essentially like the MCU, but it's with mythology. And it's like five or six companion series that have amounted to around 30 plus books. And I've read all of them. And, but they're so good. And the characters are fantastic and they all intertwine they all show up in each other's series so you've got the percy jackson one which is um greek mythology obviously but then there's one which is uh roman mythology and so it's really interesting how the greek and the roman gods kind of the lore around that how rick rayodin's done it then you've also got egyptian mythology which plays in and then norse mythology as well and so they and they all play in um and there's all these characters that develop apollo like the god becomes the main character of a series as well and they're just amazing they're just the, the story the world building is insane it's one of the biggest fandoms, you know, across the internet when it comes to to books and the movies just did not they didn't do it right, especially because if it's done right, this is a series that honestly could rival the MCU in terms of it could be like if the Harry if Harry Potter and the MCU meshed, that's when you get the Percy Jackson like universe, Half Blood uh, universe is uh, kind of how I guess they would call it. Um, but I, I'm really really excited for the TV series because it's being done by Disney and also because Rick Riordan, the author, is involved and. After the movies, he has repeatedly mentioned, he's like, I'm not letting that happen again. So he's going to make it good. And I'm really, really hoping that they make it through the Percy Jackson series and then they move on to the the next um, few uh, book uh, series because I genuinely think those are better. The Magnus Chase, which is um, the Norse mythology one, is my favourite, definitely, of all of them. And so, and that's the kind of the second last one. Um, and so I'm really, I'm really hoping they get there uh, but yes, that's definitely one I'm just pr- like really, really everything crossed that it, it works out well because I'm desperate for these to be adapted. I know my wife is really excited about that because she's a big fan of the books. I don't know that she's read all of them, but she's read <laughs> a lot of them and she is very upset with the movies. Uh, she talked about like the first movie is actually okay. Yeah. It's not good, but it's not, t- it's not bad. But the second one is like six books worth of stuff kind of yep. crammed into one movie and it just doesn't work. 100%. And it's rushed and... Uh, I'm going to start off by talking about Heart, Hearts and Souls. Uh, have you seen this movie, Alice? No, but I, I know the the song, you know, like, Heart and Souls. Na, na, na. I don't know if that's got anything to do with it, though. <laughs> um, I, I can't remember. Uh, so I know there's a, the song mostly associated with it is uh, Walk Like a Man, which uh. is just charming. So here's why I want to see this movie remade. Uh, first of all, Aaron Dicer has mentioned this show, uh, this movie on the podcast a couple of times. Uh, specifically when talking about Robert Downey Jr. performances, 
And, uh, and he's mentioned it. And that's the only time I've ever heard anybody talk about this movie. Uh, and so because he was talking about it, I picked up myself a copy and it's hard to find on Blu-ray, uh, because this came out in 1993. This is, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Starring. And I mean, he's, he's doing really good in here, but this is kind of also like 1993, Rob Downey Jr. So you can kind of also see some of his unhealthy tendencies come in here. And I want to see this movie remade, uh, not because the original is bad. I, I kind of quite like the original, actually. It's it's very charming. It's it's so stinking charming. I want I want this because it's such a feel good movie, but it's totally forgotten, and I don't know how well it holds up. If you watch this movie, understanding this is made in 1993, it feels very 1993. Honestly, it feels very early 80s. It, it just feels like low production quality. It feels like. Uh, Honestly, it carries a similar kind of tone to like Angels in the Outfield. And that's not necessarily a great thing for trying to withstand the test of time. And so I want to see this movie remade. The The story here is that um, there's a there's a bus driver who's driving late at night and gets really distracted. Another thing about like this, this movie that doesn't necessarily hold up really well is the scene of the bus driver getting distracted is there's this woman who's driving next to him and she's wearing a low cut shirt. And it's very like creepy kind of when you see it on the show it, it just because it's like you you get in that bus driver's mindset and you see his angle and you're like this is just creepy and you know you get away with this in 1993 but i don't know that the same shot comes out in 2020 the so this bus driver winds up causing an accident and the four people that are on the bus wind up dying and there are two people in the car that are robert Downey jr's parents that wind up uh, I'm pretty sure they die as well, but she still gives birth to Robert Downey Jr. because they were on the way to the hospital to deliver her son. It's it's some weird thing like that where he's the only one that that lives um, as a brand new child. And for some reason, all of the souls of the people that were involved in that collision, uh, except for his parents, but the people on the bus get intertwined with Robert Downey Jr.'s. So they're like imaginary friends to him growing up. And then he just kind of shuts them out for 25 years. Because he gets to a certain age where people are like, all right, enough with this imaginary friend nonsense. And uh, and so as he's like this, this you know, 30-year-old uh, who's just not very happy in life, all that. The, what the souls need is for Robert Downey Jr. to help him achieve their last thing in order for, that, for their souls to depart on the metaphorical bus to heaven. Uh, literal bus in the movie, but... Um, uh, but the ghost bus uh, and the and the bus driver is like, you were supposed to do this 25 years ago. Like, I don't know how, but he's like, I'll give you 24 hours to do everybody. And so he gets to see all these touching stories of people kind of saying their last. It's apparently on HBO right now. So if uh, people are interested in watching that, you can check it out there. It's like I said, it's not a bad movie. It's just it's definitely lost to time. Uh, it's got a good message in it. It's such a feel good movie. And. This movie has definitely been forgotten, and I would like to see this brought back in public consciousness. Yeah, I actually, I've just looked it up, and I vaguely remember watching this when I was younger. I, I remember the the four people, I remember the, you know, the ghost aspect, but I cannot for the life of me remember anything about it, so I will definitely check it out. Nice. All right, now... Another bit about me. So my full name is Alice Ginevra McKelly, and the Ginevra aspect is um, my mum picked it because she loves King Arthur, and Ginevra is actually Guinevere in Italian, um, so King Arthur's wife. Um, and so I have had a really, really strong loyalty 
uh, for the King Arthur legend ever since I was a child. And for the life of me, I cannot get a good adaptation of it. And I have never been, I mean, I love Sword in the Stone, but let's be honest, that's like, you know, the first two pages of, yeah. of the story. And so I, like when Legend of the Sword came out, oh, I, I was really hoping I was wrong, but I knew going in that I was not going to enjoy it. And oh my God, did they butcher the King Arthur legend. It was nothing they changed everything things didn't make sense they just omitted major characters as well and it was just terrible so I this is just me saying I want there to be a good adaptation of the stories of King Arthur that follows the the you know age-old legend and has the characters and does them right so I think that would be an amazing either series or movie and I'm just, I really want to see it because I, I think it's something that would really work for a lot of people nowadays. Uh, and I'm just, one day it'll happen. One day. Sure. I, I would watch that. Yeah. And there's lots of really cool stories of the, the knights themselves that are just not explored ever. And um, so I just think it would be something, I reckon even as a TV series or a mini series, it would be really great. Yeah, it feels like a lot of the times that we get the the Knights of the Round Table referenced, it's always like uh, they discover them all deceased sitting around the table, yeah. like that, like an Indiana Jones type. But that's fine. I I'm gonna go ahead and go next with Rebel Without a Cause. Uh, jo- Robert and I talked about this last week, and it's the exact same reason I said last week is I I would like to see this movie because it has such potential to bring out some really interesting themes, uh, especially with dealing with. Uh, with bullying and in trauma and mental health issues that the current movie is just not interested in, in exploring. And I, I, I think that the movie itself, as we talked about last week is, is okay. Uh, it's, it's, it's good. Um, it's got a lot of problems and Alice, you'll hear, you'll hear that when you, when you check out the show, <laughs> um, if you haven't already seen the movie, it's got, it's got a lot of problems yeah. with it. Um, but I would like to see some of those ad- issues addressed as well as just, live up to that potential of being a thematic piece as well that has an actual message to say. Yeah, no, that I, I um, haven't seen it, but, I, you know, it's one of those classics that I will. Yeah. Um, okay, my next one is, so the Shadowhunter Chronicles. Uh, this is, again, a book series. Can you can you tell that there's a common thread there? With <laughs> um, so this is, again, not as intense as Percy Jackson, but it's a series of books written by Cassandra Clare, um, you've got the the main stories, but then you've got some companion series as well that creates an entire universe, the Shadowhunter universe. Um, there was a movie that was made with Lily Collins and Jamie Campbell Bower that was awful, awful. Don't watch it. It's terrible. Um, okay. And then there was a TV show made on Netflix called Shadowhunters, which was fine. It was very like you know, Teen Wolf MTV, I, we care more about the fact that these are really sexy young people than the story itself. Um, and it, especially as the seasons went on, it got less and less inclined with the story and more disappointing. Um, but again, there's a lot of potential here, especially because my favourite of the entire series is the prequel series that is set um, a couple hundred years before the main one. And it's set in like uh, Victorian England and the lore is just really interesting and it goes into like mental illness and, you know, sexuality and um, lots of prevalent issues today, but it's done in this really cool, fantastical uh, background. And even the main story itself, it's really interesting. Um, you know, it deals with, I, I really love, again, mythology, but this deals much more with that traditional sort of angels and demons mythology. 
um, but with a twist, kind of like Good Omens um, does. And it just, it's so interesting. It's really beautiful in the way that the imagery is described. And plus the world building is fantastic. So if they could get that right, I really think this should be a TV series. I don't think it should be a movie because each book is quite thick and um, has a lot to explore in it. And so I think that once they got that original series and then they moved on to the prequel and the companion series, it could be a really cool show as well. All right. I'm going to talk about Micmacs. I recommended this uh, when Austin was on. Uh, mm-hmm. It is a French film. Alice, have you seen this one? No, I haven't. This is a, this is a really delightful film it's by the uh, Jean-Pierre Genet who did uh, Amelie. And it's, it's just this really fun movie that also kind of has a political message to say about, about violence begetting violence uh, and things like that. Uh, but it's done in a very fun way. Uh, Micmacs literally ch- translates to shenanigans. The movie itself kind of embraces that spirit. It's uh, it's good. I just think because it's foreign and specifically it's French. Uh, I don't think we get too many French movies in uh, in the U.S. At least that are very mm. popular. Uh, a lot of our foreign movies typically come from the um, Asian side mm-hmm. or from like the U.K. or something like that. Even though there's plenty of good French movies out there, um, I just for some reason this one just I don't see many people talking about. And I think this has. I, I, I bring this up for two reasons. One is because I want a, an American audience to see it. And there are simply just people that for some reason don't want to see it, you know, because if people won't go see Parasite because <laughs> of subtitles, then they're just going to have a you know worse time with that. But I, I also just, I, I think there's potential here for this to become like a trilogy or like a, like a mini series. That's just kind of, kind of fun uh, because the, the, the group that, that stays together, people that live in a junkyard. I, I mean, it's, it's prime, it's it's primed for being just really fun and i would like to see that mm, yeah one of my favorite movies of all time is um the untouchables and that's a mm. french movie not the remake the original <laughs> <laughs> um okay my next one is really really recent um in fact it's talked about on the podcast artemis fowl so i have read the books and the movie was Awful. So me and my um, housemates uh, sat around and we watched it because we were both fans as kids. And we were so, like, we just gave up about, I reckon, 20 minutes in because it is completely wrong in everything. They, they even get Artemis Fowl wrong. So the whole point of Artemis Fowl is that he is a criminal mastermind. He's a genius that is doing things of his own agency to become a criminal, like to become as big of a criminal mastermind as his dad is. But they turn him into this like sniveling little boy that wants his dad and just happens upon all the secret stuff, which it's like, no, he's so smart. He invented all the secret stuff. Um, plus just, you know, the fairy, um, all the, fa- all the fairies, they got them all wrong. It's just, there's so, it's so interesting because of the fact that the main character is a bad guy, like he's a villain. And so that's where they're really interesting, um, dynamics between the characters come from because you're on his side, but then you're like, oh, but he's actually the reason for all the bad stuff happening. But they just kind of, I guess they wanted to make it easier to like him or something, but they just ended up making a movie that was so, you know, one dimensional. It just wasn't interesting. I'll never watch it again. I can't imagine many people are going to put it on the top of their list. Um, and it's just disappointing because it's a really long series that could have made Disney tons of money and they just, yeah, they messed that up. So I think give it maybe like t- 10 years and try again. <laughs> yeah, that that movie will always hold a special place in my heart because I've not seen it. I will never see it because of all of the crap it gets. But that was the first coming attraction we did on Sip Pop Writers Room. Yeah, and we were like, yeah, we don't think this movie is going to be very good. Um, but we had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
yep, it was, it's not good. Highly recommend, never watch it. <laughs> okay. I'm going to talk about Slapshot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched this movie for the first time the other day. I'm a huge hockey fan. I love hockey. I love everything to do with hockey. I don't I don't super care about any of the rest of the sports. I love hockey. And I, I love that there is a resurgence, or at least I'm noticing hockey in movies more, uh, whether it's even just a reference of like somebody wearing a hockey jersey or a hockey t-shirt, um, which I went on a mini rant about when I talked about another movie that I'll talk about a little bit later. Um, it would, I, when I, I think recommended a movie when Ben was on. So I, I just love hockey. I, I, I think hockey is, uh, has the potential to be really fun movies. I think, uh, I think miracle is one of the best sports movies of all time. I personally really like goon. I mean, even the beginning of happy Gilmore where he's playing hockey. I, I love hockey and Slapshot is, is, uh, is everything that I want out of a hockey comedy. And I, I think now for people that like, play hockey, no hockey, what I'm going to say is going to be sacrilege, but I think the movie's just okay. Um, it's, it's, it's good. It's not great. Mm. Uh, but literally people in the NHL call this movie, the Bible. <laughs> and um, it's, it's so fun. It's, it's, it's charming in a lot of scenes in a lot of ways. Uh, it's, and there's two sequels that I've never seen and never will. Uh, but I would, I would like to see this brought back, uh, especially now that hockey is more popular now than it ever has been. Mm. yeah no that's definitely I love a good sports movie so always up for that so my next one is in vain of there's a lot of movies that have moved to becoming musicals and and the musicals have become really good like examples would be Shrek fantastic musical Mean Girls fantastic musical the one I want to talk about though is Anastasia um so first of all I think that's one of those movies that everyone always thinks is a Disney movie but it's not um, although technically it is now, but um, <laughs> when it was made, it wasn't. And but the music's fantastic. The story's really cool. The villains, you know, proper villainy villain. And what's cool is that it's all based in history. Um, and the more you learn about the history, you know, it's it's a crazier history than it is in the movie, actually. But I think uh, the musical is fantastic. Like I haven't seen it because it hasn't come here yet uh, something else Australia gets. We get musicals after, when they premiere, like maybe seven years or ten years after they premiere in America. Yeah, we only just oh, got Book sad. of Mormon a couple of years ago. Like, oh, okay. I love the Book of Mormon. I know, I know. I, I learned hey, about it in 2010. You, I didn't get to say it till like 2019 or 20. But you got Mean Girls. Well, no, mean we don't have Mean terrific. Girls. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, you said it was terrific. I, yeah, so I listened to the soundtracks. <laughs> oh, got yeah. it, got it, got it. Yeah, the, yeah. it's... There's a lot of visual comedy in that one for both yeah. Girls and Book of Mormon that you're just missing out on. Oh, absolutely. I, I was so happy when Book of Mormon came, finally came. But along those lines, I've listened to the Anastasia soundtrack and it is beautiful. And um, obviously it uses some of the music that we know from the movie, but it adds some more. And I think that it would, you know, in the vein of these Disney reimaginings, I reckon Anastasia would be beautiful as a reimagining, you know, that old Russian background with the music, you know, the um, the architecture and the costumes, and then this new music just really amplifying it and making it a bit more, you know, a bit more intense and darker in the themes, but also more meaningful. So I reckon that'd be, I'd love to see a remake of that. Sure. Um, okay, I'm going to talk about Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter because <laughs> I hate this movie, but I love this book. And it, it seriously is one of the best books I've ever read. It's it's funny. It's charming. It feels like they're trying to fit it into a history book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really good. There's a lot of differences between the 
um, the book and the movie. So pretty much for the movie, you get like five minutes of him as a kid. I guess most of the movie takes place before he's president. And so there's a lot in that middle section. The book is literally a third him as a child, a third him as him as like running for uh, like as a lawyer and a third him as president. And when he's president, he doesn't do like any vampire hunting. So you really just kind of get to explore some other elements of uh, of his life and of him in relationship to if he was a vampire hunter. Um, but there's a lot of really good stuff in specifically that first third that I I read this book when I was in high school and I, I probably read the most I ever did when I was in high school um, you know, for fun reading, not yeah. for like school reading. And um, I, I seriously read through this book in three days and it's not a small book. It's not like a massive book either, but I couldn't get enough of it. The book is just like crack for me. The movie is like withdrawals <laughs> from crack. <laughs> because, uh, the, the book is so good and there's so much potential for that to be good. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. the movie just sucks, which is also unfortunate because the writer of the book, Seth Graham Smith, also was the writer, um, mm. I believe director of that movie as well. And I mean, the movie's still fun to watch visually, but it's just, that's about it. Um, and I saw it in theaters in 3D, and that was kind of one of the best 3D experiences I've seen. But that's uh, that's about it. Yeah, I, I want to see I want to see the book be adapted. Yeah, I, I haven't read the book. I own the book, but I haven't read it yet. Um, but I have seen the movie, and I enjoyed the movie. But I'm a bit worried to read the book <laughs> now. Um, no, it's going to be so much better. Yeah, well, so much better. I don't want it to taint the fact that I, I enjoy the movie. <laughs> um, also, because I, I really enjoy Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, the movie. So again, it's kind of that like I haven't read the books and I don't want to because I really I am like not it. interested in the movie. I am very interested in the book. Yeah, fair enough. Um, okay, so my next one is going to be hmm, let's think. Okay. So one of the most famous terrible movies of all time is the Super Mario Brothers movie. Everybody hates it. Yep. It's awful. I think I I tried to watch it once and I got through like 20 minutes and I was just like, no. The fact that they couldn't even come up with a stupid last name for Mario. Like I get that his name's Mario Mario, but come on. Um, and then I just think Nintendo, especially now with the Switch, is so big right now. Like you know, everyone I know has a Switch and if they don't, they uh, they use one or, or know about it. And obviously everybody knows who Mario is. Everybody knows Peach. Everybody knows, you know, Wario and, and Bowser and stuff. Um, and I think that would be a really cool, I don't know, maybe animated movie. I think it, if you did it right, it's something that could be done. You know, you could get lots of sequels. It would be a really interesting, fun story. Um, and it would, you know, be working off an audience that's already millions strong. So I just think, you know, maybe don't adapt it for live action because that's just horrifying. But an animated one done with really great computer graphics could be really fun, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say the whole nine yards. Uh, and that's the movie I was referring to earlier because I ranted when Ben was on the podcast about <laughs> when I was ready to watch the movie that he lives in Montreal but is wearing a, a different Canadian team's mm-hmm. like T-shirt but he's also from Chicago. And he would either be a Chicago or Montreal fan. He would Ottawa. Yeah. Um, he was wearing Ottawa. So like, that's what I was ranting about with hockey. There is a good movie here in the whole nine yards. I just don't think that this movie itself is the good thing. I love it for nostalgia's sake. Uh, it is not a good movie. I'm, I don't think I'm recommending you watch it. I was kind of on the yeah. fence when Ben was talking about it. I think if you're in for just a silly, dumb movie that probably is, is not great. You could do a lot worse. Uh, I would love to see this concept done really well. Yeah, I, I I remember seeing that again as a kid, but I don't remember it 
but um, I mostly know it from the from the reference in uh, the Lonely Island uh, SNL sketch, Lazy Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's where I know it from. Um, okay, my next one is Hancock. Now I like that movie. I like the mythology. I think it, there's something there, and I think there's something there. I don't know whether it's a reboot, a remake, or maybe just one of those like twenty years later sequel things. But I enjoyed it. I know that the ending's a bit like just like Wonder Woman. It's like good, and then the ending kind of messes it up a little bit. Um, but I still think that there's a really fun movie there and there's a really cool concept and I would love to explore that world more. So I'd really like that to kind of come back into the, the modern visage. Sure. Uh, I'm going to talk about the three ninjas. Oh. This is straight in from my nostalgia. I grew up watching these movies and I recently rewatched them shortly before starting this podcast. And gosh, these movies are I'm gonna defend. I'm gonna defend one of them, uh, and that's Three Ninjas. Uh, I believe it's Kickback. It's the one where they go to Japan. That one's a lot of fun. It's really good, and even like Knuckle Up is not terrible. Uh, and High Noon at Mega Mountain it has like a four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's it's better than that. It's it, I'm not saying it's great. Part of it has to be nostalgia. Nostalgia, but it is. It's not great. The first one to me is the worst. The first one is just not very good, especially upon a rewatch. They try to be a little bit too serious with it. These movies have my heart. I love them. And I just think that, especially kind of the way that, I mean, because th- these came out in the 90s, like made for kids with child actors. And, you know, nothing against child actors. They're, they're always doing their best. It's not meant to rip on the kid actors, but this is just meant to, like, say they they didn't know their audience. They didn't know how to make this movie at the time. And I think that they can do it now, uh, do it in a really good way. Yeah, no, definitely. That's something that I think a lot of people... Also, I feel like there isn't enough ninja movies out there. <laughs> yeah, and I also feel like Three Ninjas is a property that a lot of people have just forgotten about, and mm. all of a sudden, if you'd be like, the Three Ninjas, everybody would be like, oh! Kind of like when I mentioned Buzz Lightyear Star Command, yeah. and everybody's like, I forgot about that for 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> yes, 100%. Um, okay, my next one is going to be uh, Harry Potter, ironically enough. Now, I know it's sacrilege, like I said, huge, huge Harry Potter fan, except for The Cursed Child, which is awful. I haven't seen the play, but the book is awful. And the Fantastic Beasts movies. First one's okay. Second one, I don't even want to talk about it. Um, but I think the original series would be really great as a, as a TV show. I've thought that kind of since the last one came out. I think if you, you know, made it as a TV show and took the time, especially, you know, it's not so much for the first three movies, but I reckon from... Goblet of Fire onwards, there's a lot that gets cut out purely because otherwise you'd have like a five-hour movie um, that would be really great to leave in and explore with with new characters. And I think that, you know, maybe not yet, but I reckon maybe in like 10 years when there's been like maybe a couple decades distance um, and these enter more, the original movies enter classic territory, I think that they'd be a really great series, just like how they're doing Lord of the Rings on Amazon. I think that'd be really cool to explore and, you know, learn more about some side characters as well. Uh, you know, you went sacrilege, so I'm going to go ahead and go sacrilege. I wasn't sure if I wanted to say this one, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to say The Godfather Parts 1 and 2. Oh. And there's only one reason why. Uh, well, there's two reasons why. Uh, I think that The Godfather is terrific. I think The Godfather Part 2 is excellent. I pick these movies, though, because the sound quality on both of them are absolutely terrible, mm. regardless on what restoration you watch them, regardless whether you watch them on the original VHSs or on Blu-ray or DVD. They're very sporadic in the the volume output, as well as just they don't capture the sound very well. And it bothers me to no end. And so 
I, I want everything about them the exact same, except just fix the sound. Yeah. Uh, and also, you know, I said part one and part two, because make a better part three. How about that? Yeah. Yep. 100%. I agree. I own all three. And it's always like, oh, when you get to the third one. Um, it, it's not it's not terrible. It's just yeah. not good. It's just it. Well, when you compare it to the first two, you're just like, sure, oh, okay. Sure. Um, okay, my next one, second last one is Aragon. Same sort of thing as a couple of ones I mentioned previously. Really, I haven't actually even read the books, but I watched the movie and I was just like, you know, I watched it as a kid and I think I rewatched it a few years ago just out of curiosity and I was just like, oh, oh, oh dear, no. Um, so I think, you know, everybody loves dragons, everybody loves mythology. I reckon if they did it right, we could have um, something really cool on our hands and I reckon they should do it along the same tone and similar format as they're doing the Golden Compass so um, or the, the Dark Materials series. Yeah. So like that, I'm, I love that TV show. So I think that Aragon are in that same tone by maybe the same creators would be really cool. Cool. Uh, I'm going to talk about... Um... Hotel Artemis. This is a movie that came out like two years ago, starring Sterling K. Brown and um, and and a lot and a million other actors you've heard of. Mm-hmm. This is the the closest to a John Wick spinoff there's ever been. Mm-hmm. The Hotel Artemis is essentially the Continental. Um, there's such a good premise here, and I don't hate this movie. For the record, uh, I, I I I think it's okay. Um, I quite enjoy watching it. Um, that doesn't mean I think it's a good movie, uh, but there's so much potential here. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I agree. I love that concept, but the movie didn't quite reach it. Okay, finally, X-Men Dark Phoenix, third time lucky. Come on, guys. It's a great story arc. We can get it right. <laughs> I believe yeah. that maybe in the Disney reboot of X-Men, we can finally get it right. Uh, last one I'm going to say is The Dark Tower, oh. because I just bought the book set for them, and I haven't dig- dove into them yet, but I bought the book set because people say how good the books are. I would like to see them adapted well. Um, I don't hate the McConaughey Idris Elba movie. I don't understand why it gets, you know, crapped on so much. Mm. I I think visually it's stunning. Um, I think the marketing was terrible. Um, I think it's way too short. And I realize they're trying to rush a ton of story, but I just like visually, I think it's great. But yeah, I mean, I want to see I want to see a proper TV series done to to give that series justice, which I don't know much about. But all I know is the movie was definitely nowhere near what i wanted it to be Mm. but i still kind of enjoyed it mildly (laughs) all right so now we worked through that uh let's talk about the spinoff so one quick thing in in pop culture you want to tell everybody to watch or to stay away from okay this is something that i think i'm a one-person campaign to make people watch so i'm finally (laughs) i'm so glad i finally have this platform um but i like i'm not even joking this is a movie that i've literally emailed both cinemasins and sif popping like if you guys ever want to review a random old movie please review this one okay So let me just set it up for you real quick. The director is David McKenzie, who has done films like Hell or High Water and Outlaw King. It stars Ewan McGregor. It stars Eva Green. Um, So Ewan McGregor, you know, Obi-Wan and all that. And then Eva Green, Vesper in Casino Royale and across lots of different movies. Um, And it is a story about Ewan McGregor plays a chef. Eva Green plays an epidemiologist. uh, And they, you know, it's just a, a romance. However... It is on the backdrop of what I would call a pre-dystopia. So all of a sudden, the world starts being affected by this thing where everyone starts losing their senses one by one. Um, I should mention the movie is called Perfect Sense. It came out in 2011. 
Um, and it literally made no money. I think it made like $100,000 total. Like no one has seen it. So it's called Perfect Sense. And yes, yeah, so like I mentioned, they fall in love, but uh, they are falling in love in a time when everyone starts losing their senses. And it begins um, with their sense of uh, smell and then it moves to taste and then it just, it, you kind of follow them as the world has to deal with it. And what's really interesting is that right before everyone loses a sense, they go through a really intense um, mood swing. Like like right before they lose their sense of taste, they get really, really sad. All the grief they've ever felt comes to light and you watch these people experience it and you watch these people have to deal with the fact that there's this thing happening, no one's able to stop it and they just have to learn to live with it while at the same time you're watching these two people kind of get to know each other, you know, meet each other, fall in love. It is such a great movie. It's high concept sci-fi is kind of where I would put it. Um, with a little with that romance aspect as well fantastic actors really great concept like if you know me you know I fall in love for a great concept like if it's an interesting concept you you've got me 80% of the way and this has got that plus it's just done so well it's so poetic it's so beautiful but it's not poetic in that like Terrence Malick way it's just interesting and it always ends I always end up like finishing it with this satisfaction of like, that's where this story should have ended. And I literally, every time I meet someone and I get to know them enough, I'm like, we're watching this movie. I've, I've been on a one woman mission to get people to watch it. So please check it out if you can. Perfect sense. High, high, high recommend. Okay. I added it to my letterbox watch list. Yes. I am very interested in watching this now that you said it. Do you know if it's streaming anywhere? Um, no, I'm not hundred well, percent sure, but let me, let me look it up while, while you recommend <laughs> Uh, okay, it, uh, it's on Showtime. Oh, Showtime. There you go. Do you want to hear about a TV show or a movie? Um, we've been talking a lot of movies, so hit me with a TV show. Okay, upon listening to a recommendation from the, uh, I think, Behind the Sins, Sincast, and then an interview, I watched the uh, Shudder miniseries Cursed Films, mm-hmm. and I quite liked it a lot. Uh, I, it's, it's not perfect. Uh, the episodes definitely vary in quality to me personally. And it's just, I think, partly how much you're invested in each film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the it's a five-part miniseries. You can uh, check it out if you want to. Uh, if you have Shutter, you can access it. If not, you can get like a free seven-day trial through Amazon Prime, or you can go to Shutter.com and go try Shutter thirty. You get thirty days free. It's only five thirty-minute episodes. Uh, what they talk about is five movies that are supposedly cursed. Air quote. Mm-hmm. Um, so Poltergeist, uh, The Exorcist, The Omen. Uh, the Crow and the Twilight Zone, the movie, and about why people believe these movies are cursed. And essentially, it's really interesting because that's really just the setup. Uh, a lot of it is deconstructing, and uh, they're not intentionally deconstructing, but a lot of th- they just are naturally deconstructing some of the reasons why they believe these these films uh, are cursed. Uh, and they're like, this isn't a curse. This is just a thing. And mm-hmm. you're attributing things where they're not, and you're making connections. And I mean, Poltergeist had two actors uh, that died and one of them was between Poltergeist 2 and 3 and one of them was while Poltergeist 3 was going on. It's just like people, people die. It happens. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and there's a re- people think there's a reason why something happened. They're like, yeah, this is common practice. It's <laughs> the use of real skeletons. You know, and then, and then uh, the Omen kind of had a lot of like weird happenstances of people on their way to the set. And it's just like, I mean, circumstances happen. And then uh, just a lot of things like that. The Crow one is specifically the best. It's phenomenal. I'm a big fan of that movie as well, uh, which I'm going to talk about with Ben here in a month. But Brandon Lee tragically died on set, and they explore that um, in a lot of detail. And honestly, that one doesn't necessarily feel like cursed. 
in in the way they talked about it, but they explore a lot of what led to that, to his death, to his unfortunate death. And uh, the Twilight Zone episode is just terrific. There's specifically an interview by the like stunt coordinator guy uh, mm-hmm. that uh, that set up the 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 stunt that tragically killed an actor in the movie, and it's. It's really that that's really emotional. At the very least, just check out the crow and mm-hmm. the uh, the Twilight Zone one. But I mean, it's five thirty minute episodes. It's the equivalent of a two and a half hour movie. It's it's a quick breeze. I I really enjoyed it. I'll so. definitely check that out. Good, good. Uh, they they are renewed for a season two, oh. um, and they said the episodes are going to be longer, and they said they're going to explore some foreign films as well. Cool. So very excited for uh, for more cursed films to come out. Not actually Chris Films, but yeah. more Chris Films episodes <laughs> to come out. Well, that's a wrap. Quick reminder that Hip Hop Writers Room is a part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. If you're interested in writing for sifpop.com or you want to get in contact with us, maybe send us a question to explore during the B-plot, then you can email us at writersroom at sifpop.com. The email is in the description for this episode if you're trying to find out how to spell that. And if you want to support the show, help out with some costs that we pay for out of pocket, such as fees, equipments, and rentals, you can Venmo me at Schweitcastle. It's S-C-H, White Castle, like the glorious restaurant that Harold and Kumar go to. Or you can email me, SipPopWritersRoom, uh, for my PayPal address. DMing me on Twitter also works for any of the above things. Go ahead and also search Schweitcastle on Letterboxd. Uh, or you can search Sif Pop Writers Room under Members Letterboxd. And since that's in my bio, I'll appear. You can find my profile catch up on all my movie opinions uh even if it's just a simple rating but alice where can people find you yeah so um i my instagram and my twitter the username i don't really use twitter i'm more of an instagram user but i will respond um so my username is ali g mick a-l-i-g-m-i-c-h um i obviously also write for sifpop.com uh, and then also for an online magazine called monkey goose magazine um i do kind of share them every time i publish them on my facebook as well if you want to hit me up there that's just alice Geneva mckelly awesome well uh alice it has been absolutely terrific having you on it's been so great to explore australian cinema and your perspective on movies uh, it's been an absolute blast thank you so much for being on thank you so much for having me it's honestly been an amazing time even though it's been my early morning i haven't even noticed it's been amazing Awesome. Well, we're going to have to do it uh, again. Yeah, yeah. And I really look forward to that. Uh, but until then, we got to get back to the writer's room. Yeah.